Thanks very much, Kevin. I hardly recognise myself there. I'm sure Faye will be glad to hear that I produce on the Abbey stage, but there you go. Uh, good afternoon. No, is it? Morning still, folks. Uh, you've no idea of the personal pleasure it gives me to listen to Grace, um, considering where I came from. It's, um, it validates a great deal to know that that work is still going on. It was wonderful, Grace. Thank you. Uh, my involvement in this was, of course, originally suggested because I spent some years, as Kevin said, as co-founder and co-artistic director of Charabang Theatre Company, which grew out of Belfast. And while I was trawling the net and digging books out of my library on that subject as aid memoir, and memoir needs a bit of aiding now, been a lot of blood and wine under the bridge since then, Fake rang for a wee bit of a pep chat and said, sure, just talk about yourself, which I can only construe in the context of the title of today's panel, Making History Artists in the Past, as a reference to my being an historical artefact. <laughs> Thanks very much. And in the past few years, I've had the privilege of working with many younger theatre practitioners who've studied at, uh, for instance, Trinity or UCD, and have been informed several times that I'm also a module And if you told the Charabang founders when we began sitting in Belfast kitchen houses in 1983, listening to 70 and 80 year old former mill workers talk about their memories, that we would one day be a module in drama studies and women's studies programs, well, I mean, that's what history does for you. So I stand before you today, a footnote. <laughs> But to talk about Charabang is to talk about myself. It only occupied 12 of my 36 years to date in this profession, but it was my crucible. Charabang's work foregrounded the voices of working class women in the context of the highly patriarchal and conservative tautology, I know, cultural and political atmosphere of the 1980s North. We wanted to cast a new eye on the received wisdoms, and we needed to explore them for ourselves. We didn't perceive ourselves as anything other than indigenous to the tribes. We weren't preaching at them. We were looking for enlightenment, not bringing it. We were artists raised in, living in, and affected by the prevailing conditions. And we were met by the various communities whom we approached for help and information throughout the years with curiosity, generosity, kindness, humour, and a frank wonder that anyone felt them worth asking to, that their memories were of value. This was our own society, and our priority audience was our own society, taking the work back into those communities to receive their comment and to provoke discussion. But the interest in what we produced, this new female gaze in the North, from a wider world was gratifying in the extreme. Through the logjam of outside cultural and political commentators and foreign journalists desperate for a new angle on Belfast at the time, and if you threw a stone you'd hit one, which is perhaps an unfortunate analogy considering the time and place, through those curious outsiders coming in to watch, in the first instance, our inaugural production, Lay Up Your Ends, amongst the audiences of former mill workers and disused mills, or later watch our play Somewhere Over the Balcony, set in Divas Flats, to watch it in Divas Community Centre, alongside its residents and their local political representatives with attendant bodyguards. Oh, the free song. Through our being indigenous artists, creating interest in something from within, we were invited to take the work out. 
These stories and voices of Belfast mill workers, of market traders, of RUC and IRA wives and mothers, and of the women under siege in Divis Flats we brought firstly here to the Republic, then Britain, Canada, the USA, West Germany, and were the first Irish company ever to perform in the USSR. Do you see what artists can achieve? The last two of those countries no longer exist. We would dearly have loved to have literally taken all those women on that journey with us. Now, there's a documentary I'd like to see. But we were not a community theatre company. We were professional writers and interpretive artists who chose a particular working method and populist style which spoke to our concerns and spoke to our target audience. Experts in our field, like the rubber bandits today. Our plays examined, for example, 1911 through the eyes of York Street mill workers, whose strike brought about the first women's branch of the Irish Transport and General Workers Union. The 1949 so-called Chapelgate elections and the demise of post-war anti-sectarian and organised labour politics in the North through the eyes of the self-employed entrepreneurial black bag women, traders in St George's Market. Female immigration from the signing of the Ulster Covenant in 1912 to the present day 1980s. In other words, we were looking at where we come from in order to get us up to date, where we are now. In these plays, Catholic and Protestant, Unionist and Nationalist, Republican and Loyalist characters shared the stage. By the time 1987 came around and we produced Summer Over the Balcony, set in the Republican Divis Flats complex, we had taken the decision to set it entirely amongst women from a Republican culture. We wanted to illustrate the extreme stretching of the parameters of what had come to pass as normal life in the North and the coping mechanisms it produced in women. And to do that, we had to set it in the most extreme, the most surreal place. There were large public housing projects of massive social deprivation in all cities of the Western world. There still are. At the height of Thatcherism in Belfast, the former inner city working class population, Protestant and Catholic, who had serviced Belfast's Victorian industrial might, had been cleared into purpose-built sectarian estates. The housing conditions in the Protestant Shankill Road flats, also in West Belfast, known because of their proclivity to hold on to damp as the Wedebix flats, were as bad as Divis. But nowhere else in Ireland or Britain had a 24-hour British Army surveillance post on top of the tower block looking down onto the low-rise maisonettes and conducting armed patrols several times a day along the connecting balconies, which were the only safe place for children to play. Divis was the nadir. Divis was the zenith. It was the place to where the roadmap of our previous work had led us. In order to get to that play, we had to journey by way of the others. Any examination of a community's culture, including Limerick, cannot be taken in isolation from its history, from what created it in the first place. Why Moy Ross? As artists being afforded the opportunity to take our work outwards, we had the enrichment of working in many international festivals, seeing other work from other cultures, as importantly having the opportunity to talk to other international artists. I cannot imagine what wonderful creation would have been born had a puppet show, such as Royal Deluxe, been invited to Divis to, for example, make something with the youngsters out of all the cars they stole, joy-rided on, goaded the British Army to chase them, and then drove into the complex to be set alight at their mother's insistence so that poor wee man can get his insurance. 
I can only imagine that a good few of those youngsters would have been inspired to continue getting their kicks less dangerously, more creatively, and with some pride demanding respect for their work and their community. Charabang Theatre Company caused no feminist socialist revolution. It did not inspire truth and reconciliation to break out all over the six counties. It did, however, and has been cited as such, make a difference to the cultural landscape for artists who followed. It humanised the grim footage and lazy soundbite of the news coverage of a particular place at a particular time. We, as theatre artists, directed that gaze. We had the choice of product, and we took control over its means of production. Just as Druid Theatre Company, founded by theatre artists before us, and Rough Magic, founded by theatre artists slightly after, to take two prominent and successful examples, still do. Charabang was a structure which I helped build, in which I could make sense of my choice of profession, a means of mitigating the guilt imposed upon me for that choice by the suspicious, ill-informed and fearful suppositions made by those in my cultural background about those who make that choice. That cultural background being Ulster non-conformist, to which, if you want to subscribe, you must conform. <laughs> Theatre artists were viewed as escapist, inherently irresponsible, childish and, at their worst, subversive. Had a whiff of the louche and dissipated about them, sulphurous and flahulich or in Ulster Scots, of which, and I've done an online test, apparently I'm a native speaker. You can get a grant for me. <laughs> Feckless and handless. The historical view of the artist, which apparently pertains and is still peddled in the most self-assured, smug and facile manner. You're on day two of this symposium and I would imagine a certain amount of discussion has taken place of the limerick exposure. So much has been said about this recently, and I welcome the lancing of the boil. However, I proceed with trepidation under the warning, and I quote, There's not a blind bit of advantage to anybody in any more quotes appearing anywhere about what's happened, says Terry Prone, taking the opportunity to hide her light under the bushel of publication in the Irish Independent. <laughs> she goes on. She goes on from the standpoint of the noble profession of PR consultant, the artistic sector <laughs> the artistic sector in common apparently with the voluntary sector is a wash in big egos pretending to be small egos full of competition and blistering enmity and righteous wrecking balls i'll repeat that last word in case you didn't hear it that was balls <laughs> balls in Charabang, we learn to respect ourselves through respecting the privilege afforded us by our own community who were gracious in their acceptance of and aid to us, and gaining respect for and interest in their voice, their culture, their memories on an international stage. This was far from a rebranding exercise. A brand imposes itself upon and cauterizes the skin, but it does not go deeper into the body politic. It has no meaningful long-term effect apart from stamping outside ownership traditionally on slaves or cattle and forming a scab which by its very nature will fall away eventually, leaving only its scar. Younger companies such as Anu, Wilfred and Theatre Club amongst many continue to examine where we've been and are now. Artists make history as do all the other active and contributory citizens. Thank you.